This is Lawrence and Bruno. And welcome to Cybersecurity Talks, the interview podcast for cybersecurity professionals and for those who aspire to become one. My name is Laurenjach and with me is my co-host Bruno Weinborg. Together we interview industry experts and explore what it's like to work in the cybersecurity domain. Join us on our journey and listen to our bi-weekly episodes and learn about the latest trends, real-life war stories and everything you need to know about this fascinating industry. Welcome, everybody. We're very delighted to have Ewart Driehuis on the microphone. Ewart is the founder of Driehuis and describes himself as a cyber entrepreneur. He's one of the pioneers in the Dutch cybersecurity industry, starting his career in 1995. Prior to starting his own company, Ewart gained experience in the cyber and tech industry, filling in roles on four different continents, all the way from chief research officer to being the head of product. Ewart is also frequently featured on the BNN News Radio Show, and that's why we're even more excited to have him here today. We spoke with him about his first assignments abroad, the state of the Dutch cybersecurity industry, and the bright future of the cybersecurity market. What you need to know about me. What meal do you start your day with? I took two cups of coffee, black, no sugar. Android or iOS? Android. What is your favorite phone app? Google Maps. Working from home, office, or a mix? Office. Are you a gamer? Yes. What games? I played Borderlands franchise like a boss. What is the oldest appliance in your house? That would be my my do-it-yourself hardware, probably, if you can call that an appliance. Yeah, well, it uses uh, electricity. Yes. I like to drill stuff and saw stuff. Laptop, desktop, server, or a VM? Laptop. What is a guilty pleasure of yours? I love uh, watching fail movies on YouTube. YouTube. And what is the first word that comes to mind when I say cybersecurity? Shit show. <laughs> and your <laughs> and your email password is? It's <laughs> <laughs> secret. <laughs> the beginnings. Maybe an odd question uh, to begin with. But what do you think of all these job titles? Because we, we did some research, of course. You've been a, a chief research officer, a chief technology officer. You've been the product director at Fox IT. You've been the chief marketing officer at SecureLink. And then lastly, we're a senior vice president of strategy. What kind of man are you, Ewa? Yeah, that I've, I think I do think it's because in the US, if you travel abroad and there's this standardization of function titles, which go from, you know, if you're a manager, you don't manage anything. If you're a director, maybe you have one or two reports. So if you start to become a VP, like you're a proper manager, like you would be in the Netherlands, like with some real responsibility. And an SVP would be like a guy that, or a girl that, that, you know, so it's standardized across that American thingy, but it's of course total BS. Nobody is a senior vice president, like you're not a president or you're not, you're not the spare president. It's just, we agreed on, yeah, so it's, it's BS, but yeah. Yeah, it says right. something. But you're the first guy that I meet that's been a chief marketing officer and a chief technology officer. That's yeah. a crazy combination. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know, right? So listen, I, I what I sometimes say, and this sounds a little bit like marketing, because I was a CMO <laughs> once, but uh, so I have a tech heart. I just I started out as a techie, uh, but I have a design mindset, and we can go into that later, what, what that means. But I, I always see multiple solutions for any given problem. And many techies see one solution for a problem. It's called uh, deduction versus reduction. It's 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 a it's a pet pet point of mine. Um, but I have a, a business drive as well. And for some reason, if you if you kind of understand technology and you're able to elaborate about it, 
people want to make you a manager or want to make you a, a a marketeer or a product marketeer, and that's what happened to me. And and now you're uh, or you were a senior vice president in the cybersecurity domain, but as a kid, what did you want to become? Oh, that's that's a super good question because I I totally didn't know. I grew up on a small island called Walcheren. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, and um, it, uh, so I know that from the from the early or from the mid eighties, I had been playing with uh, computers. Uh, I went to my dad's work where he was a psychologist. He worked with children, and at his work, for some reason, there was this huge, uh, you know, uh, cabinet full of computers like an Amiga and a Commodore. Uh, Commodore Amiga is Commodore, but the Commodore sixty four, and some other stuff like an Atari and. And I always went with him to play with the computers. It just struck me that that might have been where I came from. Right? Yeah, that was the first encounter with computers. What was your first encounter with cybersecurity? So I, and this is maybe digging deep because when I started in computers, of course, cybersecurity was was not a field. And when I started out with my in 1995 with my professional IT uh, job. You know, so there wasn't even like an IT at a training or a university or whatever that there, you could maybe do math or whatever. So, so back then, I think you know, it was kind of embedded in the job that we did. Um, but of course, we were we had no idea what we were doing. We were inventing IT as we went. But I think back then, even back then, I was you know, cybersecurity was part of the job and. And the first real incident that I ever had was when I was working for this company. One won't tell who they are, but it, it's and we had this remote access to our customers to help them out whenever they had a problem with their NDS or whatever. And so we kept the admin passwords, of course. You know, we printed them out on paper. We didn't store them or whatever. And so we printed them out on papers. The papers went in a in a safe. Um so that's old school. <laughs> yeah, that's super old school, right? But we needed to do that whenever so so then one time I came to the office um, and I saw that the, the door was ajar and uh, the window was open and I went up and they had stolen this safe and the safe really had nothing else. It was like a safe of what, 150 kilos or whatever. And I looked out of the window and there was this big dent in the grass below it. So they, the, the, the burglars apparently thought, oh, there must be valuable goods in here. Um, and well, what they did is they had stolen all the admin pass passwords for our, for our customers. That oh, wow. was that was like one of the biggest you know incidents I ever had, and um, I, yeah, I probably can't talk about it. But you can just Google where I worked back then, and it, that was like the biggest incident response I had ever been. That was my start in cybersecurity. Oh, what a start! Yeah. And how did you inform the client? It's not a, a pleasant call to make. No, no, no. And, and and so we needed to call dozens of clients. And what we did is we dispatched like we we were quite a big company. Uh, they they still are, by the way. And we dispatched like thirty um, people. They went on trains, on cars, and whatever. And they went on prem with every single customer to reset all the admin passwords and so on and so on. And we just called them up and said, "Yeah, we're coming right now." Can't stop us. We're going in. We're changing all the admin passwords. So, oh wow, yeah. And how were you able to still make this a success? I can imagine it's a very challenging assignment. And, and 
it doesn't have a good feel to it, but maybe if you service the client very well and act very professionally, you were able to give it a positive spin. Was the client still happy with the service delivered at the end? Well, of course, no one's no one's excited when you call them up and said, well, <laughs> listen, we had some, they understand that we did our everything we could, right? We but um, but of course they weren't happy about it. But I think that's one of the big lessons that many people in cybersecurity understand is that whenever you're hit by something, you 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 if you're transparent about it and honest, um, and just you know reflect and and take the learnings, and then it's actually a okay. You won't take a, a huge uh, hit on your credibility. And one of the, I think one of the best examples I saw was when you know Fox IT, uh, they were well, they weren't really hacked, but they had you know some some uh, DNS hijack for some of their you know for some of their services that they did to their customers. I think it was something like that, and they were totally transparent about it, right? So they did. They came out themselves. They you know they put blogs and they explained how they found. They also found it themselves the problem. So that helped, of course. And, you know, no one's like, oh, I'm never hiring Fox IT again. No, that didn't happen. Because if you're transparent and honest, yeah, that's that's it's usually fine. Yeah, yeah, that's a great lesson. Yeah. yeah. I, I would like to jump back to, to the, the young Award. So um, you, you were studying um, at the, the Delft University. And then you, in your spare time, were sitting behind a computer all the time. But then at some point you graduate, and then what, what steps did you take then? Well, the assumption there is that I graduated and I did not. Oh, that's yeah. new. <laughs> but I, when I, so that was one of those things, right? So I, so I started to work, and, and I remember, again, I, I, I knew my studies weren't ending well probably for me. I tried to do another study as well, uh, and, and that didn't go well too. So I decided I need to do something productive with my time. So I went to this, uh, to this uh, job company, and I said, well, can I do some work? So they, they said, well, are you any good at picking tomatoes? And I said, well, I lied that my back, my back was bad. And uh, then they said, well, maybe there's this computer job here. So yeah, that I would do that. So a little white lie got me into the computing business and I became a software tester, a beta tester for a software company, which I enjoyed tremendously uh, because it was, again, software testers. They can, you need to do, it's, it was called monkey, monkey testing back then. Okay. Um, and it's called doing crazy stuff that, that software is not supposed to uh, do, but you do it anyway to see what happens. Um, and I was I was very good at that. Maybe that was the design or the hacker mindset. I don't know. But um, so yeah, and and then I became their sysadmin, and uh, I knew a little bit of, of that. And then I said, well, this IT stuff is actually very enjoyable. Yeah. And, uh, and and then I moved from them to a proper IT company, and I became a sysadmin there. And they rented me to all kinds of companies, and that was when my when my career or you know my job really took off. Yeah. The career milestones. Uh, you became a sys uh, admin, and and then I think at some point you had an encounter with Fox IT. Can you yeah. elaborate on that? Yeah, uh, that was that was a wonderful. It was back in two thousand and eight. So I was I was a manager in that IT company back then. So we were running that company, the five of us, and my mom was super proud of me because I had a proper job. I had some responsibility. I had fifty reports. And I spent all of my time just, you know, 
just measuring stuff, KPIs and doing Excel work and, and working in the CRM and just other people were doing the cool jobs. And I was just watching if they do, did their jobs well. And I thought to myself, this management stuff is, it really sucks, man. But, uh, wow. And I was thinking those things. And uh, and then I when I had a drink uh, with uh, with a few people, and there was this very tall, very handsome gentleman, uh, and he had his shirt, very uh, very flowery, colorful shirt, and it was third button was open, and there was chest hair, and the guy was <laughs> called Ronald, and um, and he said, uh, well, um, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a super important manager, and I have fifty reports, and uh, and he said, well. That sounds super boring, man. You want to want to have a real job? <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. on the spot. Yeah, no, not on the spot. No, I, he asked me. Uh, okay, so uh, but are you any are you, are you technical? And I said, yeah, I run my own server in my basement. And I uh, said, so, oh, cool. So what kind of open SSL version do you use? And I said, well, zero point nine seven C was back then, I think. And I said, oh, well, I think D is just came out. And then you hit it off. And yeah. Some, and then for some reason, uh, he asked me to join his company. But Fox IT is now known as one of the most successful Dutch cybersecurity companies. Yeah. But when you joined, what did it look like? I, I, I was very impressed. I was, I was, um, I had, I, I had a little bit maybe imposter sim- syndrome because I thought I'm doing this. I, I've been doing this IT stuff uh, for over uh, over almost 15 years now. So I know my stuff. You know, I know my way around Linux. I compile my own stuff. I built a Linux from scratch stuff. I was Microsoft's MCSE certified. So I thought to myself, I'm, I'm pretty technical. And then I met the people working at Fox IT, and like, oh, they are really smart. <laughs> I thought I was smart. So luckily I had a management role, right? So I needed really to abandon all my illusions that, that my technical skills were, no, were good enough for, for them. So, um, um, yeah, and um, so I, I did that and then later on became more like a product guy, right? So I did, um, uh, I worked for their, uh, they had an anti-fraud department back then. They built a product which was sold to banks. And a spin-off from that product was the threat intelligence part. Because back then, you know, the Russians we talked about, they were doing not ransomware, but they were doing banking malware, right? So they attacked uh, customers of banks with banking malware. Um, so the department I worked in collected both intelligence about this, mainly to see what kind of little mistakes the criminals were making, because, you know, whenever you try to do a web injection or man-in-the-middle attack, so the malware intercepts the traffic from the bank going to your browser, changes it a little bit, and then renders the new stuff. So you see stuff as it is from the bank. You ha- you get your green lock. Everything's the same, but it's not the bank. It's the malware injecting some stuff, for example, asking you to type in your password again or whatever, you know, those silly tricks. And um, and we built software to detect that as well. And because the criminals were messing with the HTTP sessions, it would sometimes make little mistakes, mess with the headers, for example. So we could build that in software whenever the header has, for example, a lowercase letter, this or that or whatever the crap, it's, it's a criminal session. And and so that kind of software was, was a fantastic time. I yeah, learned, it sounds really cool. Yeah. I, I learned a lot. And, and But what later... And that was super interesting. It was still like a niche product, 
right? You needed to have an online banking channel and and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but this threat intelligence that we collected, that was really what we what we excelled at. Um, and the people, the threat intelligence analysts, some of them still working there, they were so knowledgeable, unbelievably knowledgeable, and also doing, you know, um, and, and that's threat intelligence stuff we managed to then sell um, in four continents. And that really built our reputation internationally. And uh, that was... That was really some of the best years of my of my life um, because it was so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe to tap onto that, is this also the part where you're most proud of in your career, or are there other things that that you feel even more proud of? Well, it, the achievements are uh, they're they're on a personal level they're you know, they're dubious, right? You know, you you do your best, you make some money, and and that's all fine. But I I what I Myself, remember most fondly was, for example, um, we went to a bar, right? A bar in Delft, you know, because we were working hard, also playing hard. So we went to this bar in Delft and the bartender there was a very nice guy. Um, and he did a study and he, you know, he was an intern uh, at Fox IT, but then his internship was over. Um, and uh, I was talking to him. So maybe you want to have a commercial role in that in that and uh, and the guy started working there in a commercial support role and within three years and and everyone's like this guy is not a salesman but within three years he was the best salesman uh, of our entire department and i think maybe even our entire company and he then started went ahead and worked for an american company now that is the stuff i'm super proud of right so that this guy is now you know working internationally and making uh i don't know probably making a lot of money i don't know but i'm super proud of that kind of stuff that's so, so that you're able to inspire people uh, to to take that step and enter the enter the cybersecurity business or the, yeah. the, the the field and yeah and excel yeah yeah exactly i think that's and maybe that touches of course on what you guys do as well is is that, that this this is your job right to to spot talent and, and yeah no, but this is a great example. What Bruno said, it, it's not your personal success, the things that you have achieved, but that you enabled somebody to get this career and, and that he turned very successful. And yeah. Maybe if you wouldn't... Yeah, way more successful it. than me. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I <laughs> yeah. think that's very humble of yeah. you. It's uh, beautiful. I, uh, well, let's not be falsely uh, uh, humble then, right? Of course, I'm also proud of, of some of the stuff that I did. Um, I, I'm, I'm really proud of, of the work that I uh, did for with SecureLink as well. I'm super proud of that Fox IT, but I, I got so much from Fox. I learned, learned so much then, and it's at SecureLink I, I could use that knowledge to really help them build the company and build their reputation. Um, and I'm, I'm on a personal level, of course, that's what I'm proud of as well. Yeah. 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 And after SecureLink, you you uh, went to join CyberSprint yep. as the senior vice president. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there yeah. we go. <laughs> SVP. But that's now also, I saw last week, a company that's in the top 250 fastest growing companies of the Netherlands. So it seemed that you have a, have a good track record of joining companies early stage and, and that they turn very, very successful. Would you say uh, that that's also your... Uh, expertise that has added to that well again let's let's not be you know let's not be falsely humble <laughs> uh, 
I'm sure it plays a role, right? But, I, but you, I definitely think so. Yeah, uh, yeah and, and and it's usually you know it's I, I I do think you know your contribution to a company is like love, right? You're you're in this mutual relationship, so you give them the love and you get the love back, and you notice immediately if it's not mutual, it's not going to be successful, right? So. I have been in in some fantastic relations with companies where I had the mutual relation and the love and then yeah. So and, and I think that mutual stuff is really important. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And then and you can become successful if everyone feels that, if everyone has that, yeah. Yeah, great. And now you recently decided to leave CyberSprint. Yeah. And uh, stupid what's decision, next? eh? Yeah, is it? <laughs> yeah, stupid. The fastest growing uh, yeah. company, and now these these guys are they're they're wonderful. I had so much fun. Um, it was, of course, you know, for myself. Just talking for myself, not for them. It was for myself a rough year because I was supposed to do the international stuff and the stages and so on. And of course, with the with all the COVID stuff, that didn't happen. Um, I don't like to work from home particularly um yeah so so for me that was uh um so um yeah it was uh, the, the covid stuff has been a little bit rough and uh yeah and i so i decided to to leave uh might be a super decision we'll see i don't know follow your heart and i i started my own little business uh so yeah there you go I, that's the first time i'm i'm mentioning i have a name and a logo please <laughs> drum rolls yeah Three eyes. Three eyes. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. Uh, what's the, the reason behind the name? Uh, it's like the, the pun. The pun is, of course, that so my the three is like my last name. The E uh, is like my first name. The letter, turn them around. But also, you know what five eyes is, right? Yeah. Within yeah. the uh, intelligence community. Yeah. Um, so that, that's America, uh, the UK, Canada, Australia, and... New Zealand. And New Zealand. Yeah. So those are the, the five uh, countries that cooperate in some way or another. Um, and apparently you, uh, you, you, <laughs> you are part of the select group of the three eyes. Yeah, uh, yeah they're exact. There's an, ex there's an expanded, if you're invited to sit at their table, you're part of the nine eyes. Um, there's also an important principle in cyber, cyber that's called the four eyes principle. So I just thought it would be funny to call myself three eyes. Yeah, so, very yeah. nice. Yeah. The Orange Cyber Army. And you've been on cases from from America all the way to Japan. That's amazing. I, th I think, uh, what is it like for, for you to, to work then in the US and then in Japan? Is there a big cultural difference in the, the things you, you see? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, I've always loved... And sadly, of course, when I did in the last uh, year and a half, I haven't been to the U.S. Uh, I love working there and I I love the culture. I would never want to live there, I think, but I, I love working there. And with all the, you know, with all the silly senior vice presidents <laughs> you talk to and uh, senior non-executive directors and what, but I, I do love that. And I take their cybersecurity very seriously. You know, and I, I remember, for example, a few years ago, I was working with uh, U.S. banks a little bit. Um, we were working in threat intelligence back then in, uh, in in Fox IT, and we were, of course, still in 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 Europe. It would be a shock, right? A security operations center and what have you. So I went to this bank, and I went a little bit outside of New York. It was winter, and I was went with an Uber through the snow, and we went to Newark, somewhere somewhere around there, and I was let into the fusion center of this bank. 
and I, I, an infusion center is when the SOC is typically you know a little bit reactive. If you want to be proactive, take threat intelligence in and all that stuff, they start calling it a fusion center. And I, I just love that stuff. It's probably the marketing part of yeah. myself. Yeah, well, I was, was going to say that just if you give yeah. it an exciting name, it will. Uh, yeah, it but, works. But it was exciting, right? It wasn't just like operators looking to all the alerts and trying to get their queues down to zero, like like many socks still doing today. It was really also being proactive, doing threat hunting, digesting threat intel, you know, and and all that good stuff. So. Um, and whereas you know Japan is is a totally different cup of tea, I have spent um, I spent a week there, um, and I think this is public information. When um, well, you, you guys know what a CA is, right? A Certificate Authority. Um, Diginotor. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was one famous one where you know, Fox IT worked on that one as well. When I was working at Fox IT, and I was working there on the sidelines, so uh, I was kind of the guy back then. Doing the administrative administrative part of the uh, of, of the of the project, um, but other guys like uh, Frank Groenewegen, he went on prem and uh, you know he found that cable running into the safe. It 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 came. That's the safe again. Uh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, so so that was one famous example. But since we did that. We, we were suddenly, we were the guys, oh, if your CA is hacked, you should give these guys a call. So what do you know? A few months later, another CA was was hacked. So we went to Tokyo. And uh, I remember vividly because one time in my life, I flew a lot, but I never flew like business class. You know, that's, that's too expensive. I was suddenly upgraded to business class. And it was that time when I flew to Tokyo, I was sitting in the front of a 747, so even that part of the journey, I remember vividly, but we came in Tokyo and um, helped them out. Again, I was flown in not because my technical skills are excellent. My colleague uh, did that. Um, but there's a, a reputational stuff as well. What should we do? They asked these questions, which I thought were very valid. So how honest should we be? Should we take down service and so on and so on? And this required a little bit more of a business approach and understanding you know, being that bridge, as you say. So I was the guy doing that, uh, and it was one of the most honorable weeks in my life. Um, we managed to help them out, and um, they're still in business today. Just check your browser um, and see uh, see where they're at. So, uh, yeah. And what was most surprising for you from that whole experience? Well, you know, it's sometimes it's super strange. And even the other day, remember when Facebook was down for uh, for uh, for a few hours, I believe. Terrible. Yeah, terrible. You know, I I don't use Facebook myself. <laughs> uh, I do use WhatsApp, if I'm honest, and that's Facebook too. But um, and that's the same the same issue is that the internet was it's like a it's so crappy. Right, it's wonderful, right? But it's so crappy on a technology level. It's like with duct tape and, and bubble gum. It's it's you know you, you can bring it down so easily. And it was BGP at Facebook, but also like these eight hundred CAs that we have. You know, if they're hacked, like it's 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 an enormous impact that it has. And uh, there's pretty much nothing we can do, right? We, the, the technology is there to make it better. Like IPv6 has been in existence, I believe, for over 25 years, but nobody uses it, right? So it's, it's why don't we? IP, we know IPv4 is, it's, you know, it's, not, it's not working. It's not working particularly well. 
You know, why don't we use IPv6? Well, you tell me. For some reason, we want it to be bubble gum and duct tape, and which is one of the reasons why cybersecurity is <laughs> so important yeah. today. That was my takeaway. It's it's just the internet is bad on a technology level. Yeah, yeah. and and looking at the um, the companies, for instance, from Japan that then hire Dutch people to 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 sort of solve their issues. What does that tell you about the the Dutch standard of cybersecurity? Yeah, that is a fantastic question because. Also, when you read the news or if you listen to the radio and watch TV, everyone's, all the cyber people are always saying, oh, we don't put in enough effort and uh, the Netherlands is losing their position or we're, compared to the rest, we do badly. Um, I, I, maybe that's true in part. We can always do better. You know, if you look at the current government, for example, it's quite clear that they don't give cybersecurity any priority. Um, but that said, you know, the parts of the government that are responsible for some of the stuff, they do quite a bang-up job, like especially the services like AVID, uh, uh, you know, Secret Service and the military service do, do, do a fantastic job. Um, our police is excellent, right? So even though the political will is not really there, the, you know, the executive, the guys actually doing the work actually have a very solid reputation. And just the other day I saw on Twitter some, some guy – it was asked the question, who has the best offensive cybersecurity in the world? And he, he showed a, a, a gif of uh, orange people cheering Max Verstappen, right? <laughs> so <laughs> we have quite a reputation, and I think it's warranted. We we, we do quite well. Um, and also, when, when I travel, well, I, I haven't traveled for 18 months, of course, but when I did travel, whenever I came somewhere, oh, there's a Dutch guy. You know, he probably knows his stuff. So, yeah, we do have a reputation internationally. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's positive. Yeah, because I remember from the the, the webinar we did, uh, I asked you, what have you seen change the, the last two decades in cyber? And I think you mentioned that the hackers are now usually whole countries and, and, and very organized organizations. And before there was just individuals. You still agree with that vision? Yeah, I, I think it's evolving even further. I, I agree, by the way, what what, what you just said. Um, I don't know. If the wisdom is certainly not mine. Those are your words. Well, yeah, I <laughs> probably <laughs> borrowed them from someone wiser than myself. That's what I tend to do as well. Uh, yeah, but but for sure, you know, I always, I, especially when I started working at Fox IT, I knew I, I learned the truth that it's in reality, um, it's not the. The the, you know, the geeks in uh, in their basements you know, with their PCs in front of them. We, sometimes that is the way we like to portray them. And the reason for that is if you look at this stuff in the, for example, in the Netherlands where we are set right now in Amsterdam, is the only time when the police actually catches a cyber criminal is one of those guys who does it in the Netherlands. Right in the Netherlands, there's no way in hell that you can organize yourselves uh, as the Russians do in order to start stealing from people because you will be, you you, you know, the SWAT team will be in your house before you, you deploy your C2. Right? Um, no way in hell you can do that, and and that's the difference because the guys that are apprehended in the Netherlands and in other countries maybe they are geeks and addicts, but these guys are are not, they are not the problem. Right, they are the, the people that get in the news, um, in in locally, but on on a world stage, 
it is really it's it's these nation states and their policies. Um, we you know many people agree that like 90-95% of ransomware operators uh, originate from one and the same country, a country which we don't have an extradition treaty with. Um, so yeah, and and those internal policies towards these people contributes that they are the problem because if they would enforce some laws saying listen you can't be a criminal you can't steal from anyone including foreign they they say well you can't steal from russians right so all those malwares as you probably very well know they have subroutines or you know that if they detect a russian uh keyboard layout or whatever they won't uh they won't activate right they won't fire and and that's because of their internal policies, they only activate when they when they find a Dutch or a U.S. keyboard layout, and yeah, there you go, and that's that's how that works. And would there be a solution to this issue? Say, if you would be the, the Minister of Foreign Affairs of the Netherlands, yeah. what would you advise him? Because I, I think it's a, it's a cat and mouse game, but it doesn't seem to be solved anytime soon no it's it's i don't know if it's, this is ever going to be solved right well not in my lifetime but you know i sometimes said jokingly when uh, when obama was still uh, obama should have a cup of coffee with vladimir um but obviously of of course they do this stuff it's called diplomacy um so you know it's a stupid advice because diplomacy is is all around you know uh, even if you're the biggest enemies on the world stage the diplomats either you know depending on how much friction there is they're you know two three or four layers down the ladder but they're still having those cups of coffee um and and, and this is something of course you know that you um that that needs to be done i I'd maybe you know like the united nations or or nato uh, you know it, it's it's always good to organize i think we should stay very close friends with the us because you know uh, they carry the, the biggest stick out there um and so you should be friends with the guys with the biggest stick um and um who knows what happens if if someone else has the biggest stip- stick and they're not our friends anymore you know that's when is that, that not already happening if you look at yeah. russia and china well, well russia you should you should not overestimate russia right so russia's gdp is uh, distressingly low um they are actually very poor um and that reflects to their capabilities as well which is why they do this uh, many people believe again this is not my research um, but in my experience is why they deploy these guerrilla tactics right they try to make the most disruption out of a few investments and that they let the criminals keep the earnings is one of those doesn't cost them anything Right, but still, the impact outside of Russia is really big. So this is one of those guerrilla tactics. It's almost a supportive environment if you yeah. look at it. Yeah. So, so and and so they're not very big. But China, yes, for sure. China does have a budget. They have a strategy. They have a long-term strategy. Uh, they have a lot of people. Um, yeah, I, I think you're. You might be right. Maybe the shift has already happened. And do you know if we have good bonds and ties with them? If you look at the cybersecurity domain, do you know from a, a more country perspective, are we in, in good terms with them? Well, I, I, I'm not super knowledgeable about those those diplomatic relations. Um, but of course, what you do see is that 
and I think this is just examples from the news. For example, if if some poor uh, person, for example, there was this uh, movie guy, the movie star, uh, he said, I'm going to go to the beautiful country of Taiwan to promote my movie. That's what he said. Uh, and then the Chinese became very angry and wanted to boycott his entire movie company because he called Taiwan a country, yeah. right? Yeah. So then he went on, and this was a big muscular guy, right? And he said, oh, I'm so, I'm, I want to apologize to the wonderful people of China, and I didn't mean to offend, and it was my ignorance, and he was throwing himself in the dust for them. And why is that? Because they are very powerful. Yeah. I, I don't think they are very impressed with anything uh, the Netherlands or maybe even Europe has to say to them. Not to say, but I think they are very impressed with the things uh, we do and build, uh, our chips in the industry, right? So uh, they are very interested in us and um, uh, maybe not for the good reasons. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's, well, for sure they, and I think, you know, the, the, the diplomatic relations reflect this a little bit. They build their economy, of course, uh, on our knowledge as well, uh, which they, uh, let's say, borrowed from us. Um, <laughs> With those yeah. said APTs, for example, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's that's kind of a a that's a fact. Why do you, we will never know how much of their economy is built on that? Because of course they work hard as well, and they, again they have a lot of people, a lot of resources. But for sure, that's played a part in their economic growth as well. The future of cybersecurity. But what would you uh, hope to achieve for, for, for the next five years? Is there still a big problem you would try to solve? Uh, for sure, yeah. I, and that's actually a very good question. It, I, so I worked so much in, in these, uh, like, by as luck would have it, at one of some of these amazing companies like Fox IT, SecureLink, and CyberSprint. And, but I'm well aware that these companies operate in the very much in the tip of the pyramid, right? If you're looking at the, the problems, you know, who does, who, who works with APTs, right? Who, who collects threat intelligence about Russian gangs? You know, that's all, that's all in the tip of the pyramid, right? But cybersecurity has a very, very broad base, like 90, 95% of the problems are there because the foundational stuff is not in order. Right, and but we're all focusing on the posh uh, stuff that happens in the top of the pyramid. Obviously, that's the cool stuff, right? That's what you hear about. Yeah, but but people, organizations, um, um, uh, mid-sized companies, they have these very tangible issues, just not having the baselines in order. You know, everyone says to them, yeah, well, you need your, your foundation needs to be right. And then, but what need, do I need to do then? Oh, you just you install your patches and do that and that, but we're not going to bother. And I think that is a problem we need to address. You know, we have too little people, too, too few people, um, and they all want to cram themselves in the top of the pyramid. And I'm thinking very hard about how can we make cybersecurity um and the foundational IT architecture that is below that, important again, important enough for the board to care because they do care about cybersecurity. They have their CISOs now, right? Their CIOs are important people, but the, the stuff that happens on the network, like the, the management of the workstations of the, you know, all, all that foundational stuff is still neglected often. And that's why 
ransomware is now part of why ransomware is rampant. If only they would know like the five things they need to invest in, they can prevent a lot of shit from happening, yeah. I think. And someone needs to take it down from the top of the pyramid and say, well, what are we going to do in the foundation? How we So long story short, I believe I might be able to help there a little bit, making sure that IT companies can expand their portfolio to include those baseline uh, solutions again um, and make sure that we're really getting more cyber resilient from the ground up. Yeah. Um, because the top-down stuff, everyone's forcing that right now. I need. I think it, the, the foundational uh, upward movement needs to happen as well. And would you then say that if you look at the foundations of, uh, of said companies and their 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 infrastructure and uh, their 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 endpoints, um, that you that you sort of take a step back in time uh, because it's not developed as the uh, uh, fast moving uh, latest uh, and greatest uh, technology is, is is it is it older or is it less developed uh, in a sense so you mean the it uh, itself yeah well yeah yeah also yeah i mean uh, legacy uh, legacy products are, uh, yeah. are are a hassle and a problem but. yeah well I, I do think that the fast just like the internet is a, is a tremendous crap show uh, technology wise Although everyone does his best, uh, the same amounts for networks and 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 um, um, if you're not born in the cloud, right? Like like uh, the the companies that were that were created like two years ago and they were born in AWS, uh, maybe or in Azure or whatever, they might have the best cybersecurity because they didn't have to carry all this legacy, right? But all the other companies they created their network in order to be available. And that's it. Availability is the only thing that these networks were designed for, and confidentiality and integrity was never part of the, of the of the equation, right? So if you try to slap that on afterwards, th this is why the internet doesn't work, right? Yeah, it's there, it's available, but it's not confidential, and the integrity is not guaranteed whatsoever. And th the same problem is there for many networks, I believe, and many companies won't. Um, start over and they should really right if you talk 90 percent of the companies that use it should just start over today and create a completely new network based on today's paradigms but they won't but here's the good thing Thanks. eyes. <laughs> no, no no i, I was i was going to credit the russians now <laughs> okay, okay right that's the opposite of yeah. uh, tree now, eyes. just as much as global warming is now forcing people to finally insulate their old homes Right and and to maybe say okay so this home is never going to get insulated I'm going to build a new one, the same might happen with you know regard to ransomware is now a big epidemic, um, and and it's very difficult to keep them out, right um, unless you start over again. So this might be the incentive. Just with global warming, we we use that to to consume a little bit less energy. Maybe we use the ransomware epidemic to build our foundations anew and and right this time yeah and uh, to move to an ending of the conversation i just want to ask you some questions what you might advise uh, younger professionals nowadays because i feel there's also a misconception that a lot of people want to enter the cybersecurity market but yep. they feel they really need a strong technical background yeah what's your take on that i i i by the way i agree a little bit you know, the technical background does help. And I think some of the best people I, I met 
um, were, were able to were the best people I ever met were both technical and had some well way to elaborate about it. The CTOs um, and the the CMOs at the yeah, same time. Yeah, sometimes, <laughs> but also. So I'm a super big fan of, for example, Bertu Bear. If you if you know him, uh, he is the founder of uh, Power DNS, and he also worked for Fox IT. Uh, I was always very uh, impressed by his his way to elaborate on some of the bigger problems, and also he has worked he, with solutions on fixing that broken internet with regards to DNS. So, um, so, and he is super technical, um, but he's also it's not really fair, by the way, because his IQ is just so it's just at, you know next level. Um, so a little bit technical is 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 good, but I what I do think is a misconception is I I know there's many people working in IT that believe they can't have an easy start in cyber because they're just IT people. But those are these, these people might be mistaken. It might be good enough if you have a solid IT background and some solid base knowledge to transition into, for example, a SOC position or to work your way up to, uh, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, application security or whatever. Um, I, I think many people uh, I, I know are actually good enough, yeah. probably, but they don't know it. But you're the prime example of this. You also started in IT and then grew yeah. gradually in, into becoming a cybersecurity expert. Yeah, yeah, probably, yeah, by, by, by luck of the draw, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's yeah. excellent. Yeah. Maybe not luck of the draw. I think, uh, and especially also for young people, you just need to go for it. Uh, it's, not, yeah. it's not a problem to fail. Uh, we all do, yeah. uh, but if you don't try, you'll you'll never exceed. And maybe in in, in your example, you just uh, yeah, maybe you had a an, a funny conversation with a guy that's tall and handsome and uh, has a, a nice uh, bush of hair on his chest. But uh, <laughs> um, um, it doesn't have to be those coincidences. And um, I think a lot of people, like you mentioned, um, maybe uh, feel like uh, oh, but every job I look at, uh, you need ten ten years of uh, yeah. a, a specific experience. Um, but it really starts with uh, uh, yeah, talking to people, not companies, but people at companies. Yeah, I agree totally. It's it's like I when I said luck of the draw, f for sure. You know, I, I do believe, by the way, that's one of my philosophies that everything that happens to you is by by luck or by bad luck. But the trick is to roll the dice as many times as you can, right? So you can you can. Um, maybe the, the you can't improve your luck, but you can work on how many times you throw the dice. Yep. So put yourself out there, and I agree with you totally. And that's that's a conversation here, a conversation there, and um, and if, even if you're super unlucky, if you have a hundred conversations, you're bound to strike five interesting ones, right? Yeah, for uh, sure. And and that's how it usually starts. So you you need to get off your chair and get yourself out there or get yourself into Zoom or whatever or in your community or you join the Dutch Institute for Vulnerability uh, Disclosure, yep. right? Yep. The DIVD. Um, because those th that's an amazingly inclusive, uh, over 50 people um, and they are looking for those kind of people maybe who's, who are sitting doing a, a, an admin job or a service desk job at home, they're like wizards, but they're maybe too humble or too shy. Give the Dutch Institute for Vulnerability Disclosure a call. Um, they will talk to you and take you seriously, right? And um, yeah. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. yeah. 
And do you have other suggestions for, for IT professionals that want to tap into this market? Yeah, well, I, I do believe that, listen, in my, t- in my time when this didn't exist, you could just put yourself, go there and try to do the job because no one else would. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't hurt to, I like to, I spend at least two, two hours per day reading stuff. Just to keep myself, I'm I'm 48, right? I'm not as fast as, as you bunch anymore. I can't, um, so I need to take that time in order to keep myself informed. Um, I think it's always good if you're hungry for more knowledge. Um, that's that's probably not going to hurt. Yeah, yeah. No, to, so to summarize, maybe one is. Try to keep yourself up to date. Maybe try to get certifications. Yeah. And secondly, roll the dice. Show yourself. As many times as you can. Great. Keep rolling the dice. Lovely. Okay. I think uh, this was an amazing uh, podcast. I really enjoyed the conversations. A lot of wisdom there. A lot of advice for, for junior professionals. I think we been to different places around the world, which is also fascinating. Ewa, thank you so much. It was really lovely. Thank you for listening to Cybersecurity Talks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode with the latest trends, war stories, and exciting career anecdotes. If you enjoyed the show, please review this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Also, could you do me one small favor? Could you please share this podcast with one friend that you think would like this show just as much as you do? Thank you. And for all further information, please go to csrecruitment.nl slash talks and subscribe to this podcast. We will be back with another exciting episode in just two weeks. So see you next time and stay safe.